I started watching um, um, Dimension 20, Fantasy High. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, Kath's really the one Kath likes, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cute. Um, it's really nice. And like the first episode, where she's like, wait, wait, what? Um, yeah, it's really good. Uh, oh. Content warning for religious group that becomes culty. Genuinely, actually, really funny and nice and uh, consumable. <laughs> I've, and because I've it's a video as well. I've, I've seen good stuff about it from people that whose opinions I actually respect in the RPG <laughs> world, so, um, you know? Yeah. Like, huh. yeah, it moves, like, really fast, and the action isn't, like, really slow. <laughs> it just, it wraps up in an episode, and it's like, mm -hmm. great, thank you. <laughs> wow. It's so consumable. Yeah, very consumable. <laughs> Well, I guess this is um, Bread and Barricades, a Les Mis podcast. I was just about to. And, okay. and, and I'm the one who says that now, because I'm the host <laughs> right, of this ahead, podcast. Then. Hi, this is Bread and Barricades, a Les Mis podcast. I'm your host, Grace. I use they, them pronouns, and um, it's raining outside, which you'll probably be able to hear, but it's not raining in Animal Crossing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nemo. Uh, I'm also here on this podcast, and I use they them pronouns. And I have embroidered a lot of Magnus archives in jokes while uh, consuming uh, many video essays this week. <laughs> I am Stevie. I'm your primary researcher and sometimes secondary researcher. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm going to actually get to start to do some work again because enough orders have been coming in. So I would like <laughs> to personally thank all the kinky people out there for getting bread <laughs> on my table. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, are they, se are they sending you latex to work with? Yeah, so I'm driving this afternoon, which is why we're recording early. Um, to pick up the solvents because Royal Mail won't take those, but then we're just going to post the raw materials to me. I make the outfit, post it back to my boss. Yeah, she messaged me like, oh, do you, would you want to do some work? I was like, I honestly would love nothing more no. than to make a goddamn Emily dress right now. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd hear, hear it. <laughs> Speaking of being distracted... <laughs> Welcome to Waterloo. <laughs> wow, no, Stevie, I was again, defeated. That's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> huh? You won the war. What? Waterloo. It's not Waterloo. It's Waterloo. <laughs> again, Waterloo. like that's the only way that this is going to be consumable. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Welcome to Waterloo. <laughs> from the road of the Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter one. Uh, I definitely didn't pronounce that word right, but I wanted it to fit the song. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, chapter one of book one of Cosette. Wait, so, no, wait, sorry. We're in part two, book one, Waterloo, chapter one. Um, <laughs> and the first hmm. chapter is kind of, I would summarize as, see, I really did this walk, you guys. What? Victor Hugo in like just there's a lot of very Victor Hugo moments in these coming chapters. On a fine May morning last year, that is to say, in the year 1861, a traveler, the author of this tale, walked <laughs> oh from my god. Oh my god. Oh, I'm just gonna say this wrong. Novellas in the direction of La Hulp. God. Sorry about the French pronunciations. Um yeah, so this chapter is just him going on this walk, giving us every detail of this walk. There's a stream, there's a valley, there's a girl working over there. Um, yeah, and then he makes it to Hugomont. Uh, and that is the battlefield of Waterloo. Damn. And we're going to go straight on to chapter two, because I'm not kidding, That is that chapter was literally, there's a stone pillar. And there's, there's a field. Oh my god. <laughs> so, 
I like so we're basically I'm gonna be doing six chapters here, so I am gonna be summarizing maybe more than we usually do. Um mm. just as a like heads up. But also cool. because you're like, how much of this is necessary, Victor Hugo? Um you decide. Uh so chapter two is Hugomont, and it was the fateful place, the beginning of disaster, the first obstacle encountered at Waterloo by the great tree feller of Europe, whose name was Napoleon, the first not to resist his axe. And this this chapter is sort of in a similar vein to the first one where he's like, oh, look over there, there's this field. But in that field, this is where this person died. There is this chapel. And that is where this part of the army all fell. He quite likes getting into the architecture of a lot of the place um me and Nemo actually recently listened to a video essay that kind of highlighted how much Victor Hugo was into architecture so that kind of like warned me of what was to come I would say Mm. Mm. it was a very useful essay like to summarize basically uh the Notre Dame de Paris the book um basically being instead of being a uh a novel of sorts about like the plight of humankind and social justice as we uh, assume now because of the modern adaptations that we've like got. It was actually uh, a novel written about save the architecture and about how like um, at that point in time there wasn't the same idea of um, preservation. Uh, preservation, that's the word. Thank you. Um, and so because of it he kind of started the idea that historical buildings that are beautiful and culturally significant should be preserved for like humanity um yeah and it was interesting thinking about that and there's not so much of it in Lamez, but I guess this is his chapter where he's like <laughs> and his architecture <laughs> that's interesting because he like draws a lot of attention to like ruins often acquire the dignity of monuments um <laughs> and like there there used to be this big stately mansion here and then the battle of waterloo happened and like present day it's a farm kind of thing mm-hmm. um so he'll like super zoom in on like every detail of like and this is what that window looked like once now a bird sits there <laughs> and over the six chapters he really does get into the like here is a almost blow by blow of what happened during this fight like the Mm. English barricaded themselves in this house and there was these trenchy bits that people hid in uh, these two trees that's where uh, this commander's body was at one point Um, and then okay a nice a nice well I don't know if it's a nice line death tarnished victory in its own fashion bringing pestilence on the heels of triumph Typhus lurks in the shadow of glory. So that, like, even though the Battle of Waterloo was won by the English, mm. then comes disease after that. Um, mm. So it, it, even a thing that will seem like a victory further down the line has its own mm. issues. Mm. Uh, I felt very um, classical, that line. Do you know what I mean? There was just something about that line that felt very... Um, like, if you had been like, oh, yes, that was from the Iliad, I would have been like, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 mm. that's true. I mean, he was an Iliad fucker. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, but it, it felt very, that felt very prevalent in that. Well, I wonder, because these are the chapters that are focusing on war, that, yeah. like, you can really zone in yeah. the, like, Hugo language, where it's like, I mean, the Iliad and, well, not so much the Odyssey, but, yeah, the Iliad being a, an epic book. about yeah. So him being like, and now's my time to be the next Homer. <laughs> oh, bless him. Mm, I guess similar to that. So at one point he's like, oh, there's a well. And that used to, you know, give water to so many people. But after this battle, all the skeletons got put in there because they needed somewhere to put the bodies. The well from which so many of the dead had drunk was destined itself to die. <laughs> God, Wow. <laughs> Gosh. I do like as a line, but also it is like full Victor Hugo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really it really straddles the um the boundary between like very poignant and powerful and also Victor 
<laughs> it really, yeah, it really does uh, straddle that line sitting there. I guess yeah. it's interesting because, like, I, I kind of had blocked out most of Waterloo. Um, <laughs> so the idea of it being quite poetic is interesting to me because I thought it was, especially since he, like, set it up as, like, oh, you know, the author of this book, like, went on this walk, which is quite, quite a, like, framing of, um, like, historical realism, right? And, like, this is what really happened and these yeah. chapters are going to be, like, a, a, a factual account of Waterloo. But the fact that he makes it so poetic and has that kind of, like, the only real war poetry that I've studied, the Iliad and, like, British World War One poetry, the fact that it does kind of lean into that is interesting to me. Mm. I feel like that fits the Hugo that I'm learning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he couldn't resist. Oh, we have a... A chapel that um, was being uh, like defended by the English, but then the French took it over, but then they had to leave, so they set fire to it when they left. Um, but the wooden Christ was not burnt. Uh, <laughs> but there was a statue of the baby Jesus whose uh, face got taken out by a, uh, a stray bullet. The beheaded infant Jesus was less fortunate than Christ. Oh my god. Oh my god. But I was like, would a Christian be like they probably wouldn't, but like you know the difference like when he's Christ, he's Christian. When he was a baby Jesus, he was Jewish. Like, is that mm. I don't know. Ah, interesting. He's not like making any allusions to that, but I was like, would that be a thing someone would think? Interesting. I hadn't thought about that at all. It's really interesting. Hmm. Well, there's just a little Stevie thought for us to, but um, yeah. break off a little I know bit of that. Not at all. Nothing about religion for that to <laughs> yeah. ever. This chapter is very much like, and then this happened, and then the French took over this bit, but then they were be- fought back by this, and here's the light infantry. Like, really gets in it, and then like has the goddamn Gaul. A chapter later, to be like, it goes without saying that we do not claim to be writing a, histor- a history of Waterloo. Oh my god. <laughs> we leave the experts to their tasks, but being ourselves no more than a remote observer, a traveller across the plain. <laughs> and like, you've literally just really, like, really, he really recounts this. Um, the summary of chapter three um, is that it rained very heavily the, <laughs> the day of. Uh, the night of the 17th to the 18th of June, 1815, mm. the day of the battle, um, meaning that Napoleon couldn't set up his artillery. And as we all know, Napoleon was a uh, artillery officer and he never forgot it. Um, <laughs> so a lot of his battle strategies were around, like, I'll get my guns in and just fucking, like, blast it. Um, we'll be out in two hours. But because mm. it had rained... They couldn't set up in the morning, so they had to set up in the evening, which gave the Prussians time to come and back up the English. And that is why Victor Hugo says that they lost. Damn. But, like, in a lot more detail than that. Um, <laughs> because Wellington only had 159 guns, Napoleon had 240. How much of the blame for his defeat is to be attributed to Napoleon? Is the navigator necessarily responsible for the shipwreck? And then yeah. comes the long. <laughs> The longest paragraph of literally every single sentence is a rhetorical question. Um, I would recount all of them, but yeah, just like, was Napoleon's undeniable physical decline at this stage accompanied by a weakening of his uh, faculties? Was his genius fading, as many reputable historians believe? Was he becoming careless of danger? Just some of the many. We do not believe this. His plan of battle, it is generally acknowledged, was masterly. And then recounts what his plan had been. But, you know, that pesky rain. That pesky little drop of rain that should hardly have hurt him now. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm wow. kind of curious now. I... <laughs> Thanks. Um, that's what Too I want to hear. Yeah. Trying to think about whether um, the barricade actually had rain in the book or whether that's a film thing because it would be interesting if there was also some of that at like the barricade failing slightly because it was raining I don't think so I'm gonna say no I'm gonna say that's a, like a Hollywood edit a, a, 
they say muttering under their breath a musical and Schomburg. Uh, thank you um <laughs> It's a them edition because I don't think it's the reason why the barricade failed or, or like one of the overt ones. The It fell because the people of Paris didn't rise. But it would be interesting if some of that came into it as well. So it like mirrored the France being defeated and Napoleon being defeated at Waterloo. I'm, I'm sure we'll remember about it. When we <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't remember what happened last fucking episode, let alone like. Sometimes we remember. Years. Sometimes okay. we're like, yeah. "Hey, do you remember two years ago when we thought about this?" Um, <laughs> hey, listener, really. if you're listening to this in 2036, <laughs> um, just when send we us finally an ask. get there, <laughs> yeah, we actually get to the barricades to a. Uh... Yeah, the end of this chapter, he does the, I'm not claiming to write a history, even though that's what I've just done. Um, and then ends with the, uh, I think, Victor Hugo's opinion. Uh, it appears to us, us, I think, being Victor Hugo, underlines that, um, <laughs> that a series of hazards dictated the course of events at Waterloo. And as for destiny, that mysterious culprit, we judge it like those simple-minded judges, the common people. Oh, oh, oh. Like <laughs> so we've got some like destiny, it. which is definitely a theme we've told ourselves to look out for. Yeah, I like how he calls destiny a scamp, <laughs> like that little culprit. Oh. <laughs> the rascal. <laughs> the rascal of no respect for knights. <laughs> then chapter four is titled A, in which he describes the like topography of the battle and like the area, which makes the letter a except as like instead of just so this point is this point of the a this is the top of the a this is the bottom of the a he's like and this river is on this side of the a and this is on the underneath of the a so like i'm not gonna give you all of that um <laughs> you can find a map of uh mont saint jean where Bolling- and that's where wellington was um because it's i i do enjoy a metaphor but it does feel a bit stretched when it takes the amount of words it takes to describe it, I would, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and we just sort of get more field tactics, what Wellington was up to. Um, and he, Wellington, who was the leader of the English army at this battle, had the commendable foresight and had ridden over it uh, in the previous years to sort of get a lay of the land in case a battle was ever to happen here. <laughs> Oh, but then it does. So then this chapter ends with a like sort of the effect that history has on our ability to like look back on things. So he's once again ending a paragraph, uh, a chapter, sorry, thinking about um, Napoleon. God, his name just went. <laughs> the figure has long been fully illuminated, having emerged from the kind of legendary fog that emanates from most great men and for a time hides the truth about them. Today, history and broad daylight are one. Um, the daylight of history is merciless. It has a strange and magical quality that, although it is composed of light, and precisely because of this, it casts shadows where once only brilliance was to be seen, making of one man two images, each opposed to each other, so that the darkness of the despot counteracts the majesty of the leader. So yeah, just sort of being like, now we can look back and be like, oh, I guess... You fucked up sometimes, and we can look at you in a more balanced way. Maybe Napoleon, maybe at this point, consider. Mm. Mm. Do you think he's setting up anything about Javert there? I was thinking about that while reading this. That is like, oh, he was righteous, and like he'd planned so hard, Napoleon. He'd like planned this battle so much, but like in the end, sometimes you go too far. It sounds like it's just the way that you were saying it. Like, yeah, and again, then it does sound like similar sort of language that he uses to to describe um, Javert. Interesting. I would never ever have said that. If I was to make a comparison, I would probably put him as Tenardier, mostly because that is who is about to come up, and the idea of um, uh, image is a big one for Tenardier of like um, what you present yourself as versus like looking back on your actual actions. 
Mm. Or maybe um, uh, Maris's dad, Colonel George's Pomacy, because mm. um, a lot of his stuff is about him being in in a better way, like a, a fearless leader and a great soldier and like you know uh, an amazing general. But then uh, his reputation being like bes- besmirched. Mm-hmm. by Marius's grandpa and uh like basically living out the rest of his days as someone with a bad reputation or maybe even um Jean Valjean slash Maya Madeleine of like because the last we saw of him was all of the people of uh, Montreal's and Mare being like oh he was a criminal and like all of his good work like the history being like overwritten instantly I feel like that's the opposite of what he's talking about, though, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> or am I imagining that? That it could be a kind of, like, thesis for looking at, like, all the main characters for this. The sort of, once we have all the all of the facts and had a bit of time to think about it, only then can we go back and properly judge someone's, mm. like, mm. A, a full image. Um, once we've sort of had both sides... Yeah, so rather than it being a specific character, just about being like, don't judge a book by what is first presented to you, which is, yeah, kind of what Limits is about. I guess, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll allow it. And we write off Waterloo. (laughs) (laughs) And also the English didn't win. It doesn't count because rain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the fog of war is what comes next. And yeah, we've got some more... Uh, you, you're never going to believe it, but <laughs> he recounts some more history of the battle. Oh Damn. my god. Damn. <laughs> you know, it was pretty treacherous in those early stages. Uh, dangerous for both armies, but more so for the English than for the French. It had rained all night. Um, Napoleon, as we have said, was accustomed to keep the artillery under his direct command. Uh, using it like a pistol to be aimed at particular points in the battle. And for that, it was necessary for the sun to come out and dry the ground. Uh, but the sun did not shine. So... literally like, And then this happened. And then Napoleon did this. But Wellington did this. Uh, <laughs> the attack on the Hugomont was partly a feint intended to induce Wellington to concentrate on that flank. Don't worry, though, Wellington, he's got this other plan. He's going to send people to the centre because that's where there's, like, it's easier for them to fortify. And even though they've got some young soldiers in that British army, they did excellent service as sharpshooters. Uh, you might even say they possess something of the French capacity but the <laughs> improvisation. Oh my god. <laughs> they were basically French. Basically we won because they were basically French. They so were French. Um actually uh, <laughs> England <Wow. lost. laughs> This did Amazing. not rather please Wellington. Like I mean he won, so I don't know how displeased he could be. Um <laughs> Uh, and then we're kind of coming up on four o'clock, uh, shrouded in the fog of war. And then he sort of gets into the, when you're trying to paint a battle, that each, what was true one hour is false in another because it's so chaotic that whatever the calculations of the generals, the clash of armed masses has unpredictable repercussions. Each commander's plan shapes and distorts that of the other. Uh, there is no logic in the flow of blood. To depict, a, <laughs> to depict a battle, we need a painter with chaos in his brush. Oh my god. Oh my god. Is that what Hugo <laughs> thinks he is? Like, the agent of chaos? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hugo at himself. I am chaotic good. <laughs> <laughs> and history is my paintbrush. <laughs> His, uh, battles, they're, they're pretty chaotic. Thus, the historian has a right to summarise he can do no more than grasp the broad outline. No narrator, be he ever so conscientious, can fix the exact shape of that ugly cloud that is called a battle. But he will try. <laughs> and then we get to four o'clock in the afternoon. Assume that for everything I read you, there's at least a page or two about the French did this. And then we shot some bullets at this tree. You can still see those bullet holes. And then this wall also took a couple shells. But I just don't think that we need to read it all. (laughs) 
At about four o'clock, Wellington's army was in serious trouble. The precarious situation Wellington was in, um, for him there was two critical points, Hugomont and Le Haye-Sens. Hugomont was still holding out, but in flames. Le Haye-Sens had fallen. 3,000 men had died in that farm. Um, and then we get, a, yeah, a lot of a lot of people died in this battle, it turns out, guys. Uh, it was pretty intense, actually. I really am loving Hugo being like, yeah, yeah, the English won, but like, really, they were they lost. Like, look at all the losses they did. <laughs> when you really think about it, it was that. And they did fight commendably, but in a very French way, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Only one strong point remained, the centre, and that's where he's going to send everyone. They're going to hold out. Um, there's a stone mansion behind them that uh, a 16th century building of such solid construction that musket fire ricocheted off of it. So that helped them fortify that. There's some barricades mentioned, and they basically, there were such good hedges around this house that the English could hide behind them with their muskets that when uh, Napoleon had sent someone to sort of get the lay of the land, they were like, oh, they've not even really fucking defended this place. It'll be fine. Let's run through. And then we're sniped down because they were hiding in these cornfields and these hedges. Like cowards, the English. <laughs> Jesus, didn't fight us head on. God. Uh, to sort of give you a taste of like, that I'm not kidding when I say he said he wasn't going to recount a history, but here he feckin' is. Wellington reinforced the centre with one of his Shea brigades, brought in from the right wing, one of Winnick's brigades, from the left, and Clinton's division. In support of his British contingent, consisting of Halkett's command, Mitchell's brigade, and Maitland's guards, he brought in the Brunswick infantry, the Nassau con- contingent, I can't even begin to pronounce that one, um, and some Germans. Thus he had 26 battalions under his direct command. Um, it, it, like, literally, here is the name of everyone who was here. And that he is very um, uh, Iliad. Yeah, I was thinking it's very catalogue of ships, isn't it? (laughs) Catalogue of ships. That is what that is. Wow, I can't believe he was literally like, okay, in order for me to make the Iliad, I have to have, I have to go off at least at one point. (laughs) Where are the greaves? Yeah, (laughs) we need some greaves up in here. And some some well-turned calves. Um, Glinting cow's eyes. Yeah, wow. And a tripod. <laughs> God, I God. have a tripod. God, I have a tripod. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this feels very war flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's a good place to have them, I guess. Great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so Wellington's really fortifying that centre. And actually, I, th- I think that Hugo does have some regard for Wellington. Um, the, the final chapter of this is um wellington worried but impassive had remained throughout the day seated on his horse in the same place a little in front of the ancient mill of mont saint jean wellington's bearing was one of icy heroism the bullets whistled past him people on either side of him are dying and he's just staying there stoically um lord hill hill demanded of him after a shell burst what are your orders my lord if you are killed do what i am doing wellington replied hang on to the last man so it is like quite, I guess, quite an impressive picture of this man, like staying front and center of his army. It feels like he's saying he wanted to like stand there and be like, as long as my men can see me here and like hold the line, kind of stuff. Mm. Which, as we all know, is very French behavior. So uh... <laughs> Jesus, a fucking. So Christ. basically, Wellington was um, French. So. <laughs> I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> but at about four o'clock, the English line wavered. <laughs> I wonder how much trouble you could get into at this time. Well, Hugo got into a lot of trouble from Napoleon. Um, Napoleon? Yeah, right? The different one, though. Um, for talking out against him. But, like, how much trouble could you get into for, like, writing down in your novel like yeah you know if Wellington wasn't you know terrible he would seem to be a good leader Mm, does sound like something you might get a little bit exiled for yeah (laughs) 
But then, like, once you're exiled, like, there's no point in trying to, like, cover your tracks anymore, right? Mm. Like, he's already being like, yeah, fuck this, you know, fuck the people who exiled me. So, like, why is he trying to cover up the fact that Wellington was English? <laughs> so I, I guess I guess you can get more exiled. <laughs> Double exiled. Double exiled, yeah. And well, what's the only thing worse than exiled? More exiled. <laughs> that was that was the joke that I was making. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm very glad that you got it. No, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I just I just have to make sure that everyone knows that sometimes I do understand jokes. I was no, it's I was really rare. pleased. I was really pleased okay. to receive that that confirmation and, and validation. Well, we do know that Hugo, even though he's uh, what in his own. What did he say in his own words? Not not the expert, just a remote observer. Um, <laughs> that clearly this history, like recounting this history, is important to him. Otherwise, he would not be doing it in this finer detail and going on this very intense like trek across the battlefields. If he mm. didn't super care, so I don't know if it's him being like, okay, yes, we lost France, but like, what's really important is getting that history down <laughs> a higher purpose <laughs> i so far it's been very much especially with the like amount of rhetorical questions and the like oh you know i'm no expert but it's very very much the mm, so this isn't really a question more of a comment yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so the end of this chapter the english are actually in trouble um their line just wavered as we said Wellington's battle line was crumbling. It is the beginning of the retreat, Napoleon cried, which is a good cliffhanger, I guess, for us who don't know what happens in the battle. (laughs) (laughs) And it's quite a good, like, I guess, poetic irony to end a chapter with Napoleon, like, yeah, fuck, we've got this. Mm. And that's actually, I've done that thing where I was like, I'm going to need to feckin' summarise the hell out of all of these pages, and then I did that. Really good. <laughs> but like it smashed it. It took it took longer to read because there is there's just there's just so much. This is where this particular guy maneuvered for ten minutes, but then he moved to over here, and then so like yeah, a mixture of here is the very exacting battle plan and strategy, and here's what went down, and here's this chapel that took some shots of fire. May we always remember it. Okay, then back to this battle. But that tree over there, even though it has fallen over, it still flowers in April. Um, which I was like, is this a, even after horror happens, life continues on? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, like, because when you were, say- when you were saying about the, the tree that falls and still um, still blooms in April, as it were, it, it made me think of Fontaine. Um, mm. In that, I wa- I also I wonder whether it's the um, when even though thing the, the thing that we were talking about I think in the last episode or maybe the one before that but where we were talking about um, things that go unrecognized in like by society in life, mm. um, those people are still received by God into heaven. Mm. I don't know oh, whether yeah. that's a stretch, but like that is the sort of the. The place that my mind went to with that the mother earth thing and yes yeah mm. which again is quite a sort of a quite a pagany sort of idea for um ye old hugo <laughs> quite like capital r romantic as well though yes he yes. didn't kind of he dabbled in oh definitely i'd say there were definitely like bits when um the way that um what's his face Jean Valjean you know the main character of this book um was relating to the environment around him and that was very felt very capital R romantic mm. at least I mean he was a romantic capital R but there we go it also um reminded me of the barricade um especially with the architecture and like the world around you and stuff and like a lot of the barricade a lot of building the barricade is talking about how like Bahorel is um, uh, pulling up the paving stones and someone's like oh you're paving the way to hell is one of the lines that uh, Hugo wrote Um, and Bahorel being like 
no, I'm using Paris to protect Paris. So the idea well, of like the world around you, um, like really coming into play in what you're doing. And so the like the fun with the bullet holes in it and the tree with the bullet holes in it and stuff like that of the like, what are the physical effects that are going to be left on the world even after all the humans have gone and died? And mm. yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that. I guess as well with the architecture stuff that, you know, Notre Dame was favorite, famous for. Um, and like what Hugo is kind of protecting is the memory of these things. I guess, I guess in some way by writing it down and leaving this book, he is like the bullets in the tree, like making something like that, that is a physical memory of things that could definitely have been forgotten. Um, and like, yeah. when you, when you said Hugo was like, oh, you know, the bullets in the tree can still be seen today. My first thought was actually, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if like, if I went to France now, mm. I could still find it. And like, it made me want to go and see. Mm. And I feel like if you were reading this in Hugo's time, you would also be like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder if I can go there, like, you know, now, today, and, like, go and see if the tree is still there. So, like, making you aware of your surroundings and making you aware of the, like, history around you and, like, even though it just looks like a farmyard, what wars were fought here? And then later on when it becomes a barricade, um, the whole idea of, like, I think as well he mentions that there are like bullet holes in a, a wall or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. That idea coming up again, like at the barricade. Um, or like if someone was walking through Paris again, like just having read Les Mis and it was the 18th, 19th century and looking at the paving stones and being like, oh, I wonder if that paving stone was used for the barricade. So in a very real way, connecting you to the idea that it's not just... Um, it's not just a story. It is something that actually happened in the world around you and like has a physical, tangible relevance to your history and you're still existing and still being alive in the world. In this essay, I will. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah like literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, so I, I like very much was like looking forward to what you both would bring to these, which you both have done. Um, because like, like I actually... Like, I enjoyed studying history, so, like, it wasn't that I was necessarily, like, bored reading these these things about battles, because, like, that is a thing that I will sometimes read. Um, and, like, it, it, and obviously there's all these moments that are very Victor Hugo, like, you don't, if, as soon as you start to maybe forget that you're reading a Victor Hugo, he's like, don't worry, it's mm-hmm. still me. like, okay, cool, I got you. <laughs> um, but especially if we finally had such, like, plot-driven moments that it was more mm. like I was reading something completely separate from that. So it was like, even if I'm enjoying, well, I don't know, enjoying, but like, you know, not having a <laughs> This is happening. <laughs> yeah. Even if I'm reading through these battle things, um, and that's the thing that separately interests me, it, di- it did feel for me quite removed from the text we've had so far. So like having you mm. both be like, oh, and that could be relating to this later on, or this could be for this thing. So I was like, oh, okay, cool that makes me appreciate it more whereas while reading it it very much I, but then as I've said before this could just be the energy of the reader like so what I came to reading these chapters with that I mm. came out of it like okay so these are the heroes the blow by blow battle sequence and I need to get through this to get to later plot I think it's also um like it'll definitely be the re- the energy of the reader but I think there's also um there's something to be said for the removal that Nemo and I currently have from it, mm. like in the way that you were reading the text, you are reading all of these details, you're reading them as they're being put out by the author, whereas we're getting an abstract of it and seeing, like when you're when you're describing it, you're giving us a shape and we're able to go, Ah, oh, that shape looks like other shapes mm. that happen in the book, whereas mm. like you're so close to the details. Yeah, I had absolutely none of these thoughts in my head, and I've never thought this deeply about Waterloo before. <laughs> like, um, I've read the novel three times now, and it, I read the Waterloo the first time, and I read bits of it the third time. I skipped it the second time, um, but this idea of 
yeah, Waterloo and all the stuff that I just said, like, has never ever occurred to me before. And it really was because, like, um, Stevie put the focus on the religion and and the Jewish thing really interested me. And then because Grace said a lot of stuff as well, which I was like, oh right, yeah, the Mother Earth thing. And then thinking about Mother Earth like really did it for me. And it it <laughs> makes me think of the idea of like um reading groups and stuff right like somebody mm -hmm. wouldn't have just been reading this by themselves like there would be a group of people reading it together or that's how I like to think of things anyway <laughs> mm -hmm. and it makes me think of like people probably doing this in their living rooms reading like these three chapters of Waterloo and then being like oh but the the fucking bullet in the tree I wonder what that's about and stuff like that and it's really cool to think about that and like what theories they were coming up with without knowing what's going to happen at the end slash when the whole thing had come out come out and they were like reading it together and maybe one of them had read it before and the other ones hadn't and stuff it'd be it's cool thinking about history <laughs> yeah so, i think it there's a nice there's a nice um i suppose it's not necessarily close to the book but more something that's come out of like the sort of exercise that we're doing here but it gives you a little bit more of a sense of like it feels very community driven in in a way that I always find very interesting like different ideas are brought up obviously by by working with people and that but but just it makes that sort of thing always makes me feel very soft and squishy and <laughs> basically mm. what I want to take from this is read with your friends yeah for real mm. like read with your friends and like have a discussion afterwards and then be like but not just like I don't know I feel like if this was a kind of discussion where it was like <sighs> I like the back and forth forth of it this mm. is basically what I'm trying to say and like the fact that a lot of things we are really interesting when like none of us agree <laughs> yeah 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 and that doesn't make it wrong it just yeah fosters a more intense conversation about it because we are the academics fighting each other and asking each other yeah yeah well also it, it like it forces you to it forces you to examine what you're actually thinking more mm. like it forces you to look deeper into it and also like I think there's there's so much power in realizing that you're wrong yeah yeah like real. having an argument with someone about like an an you know obviously like an academic style argument with someone about what um what you think is happening in a part of a text and they think something else and then you're listening to it, you're listening to it and you're like, mm, wait a minute, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> and then like, and going back on that, is, I think it's not only a good skill for real life, but just mm. a, a, good, a good mental exercise. Mm. And a really good way to like um, examine yourself as a human in like privilege way privilege wise and like what not even just privilege like because that puts quite a like political heft to it but the idea mm -hmm. of like what your life experiences are and like what uh, how other people see the world and even in small things like how the world is different for everyone has been really interesting for me reading mm -hmm. this um I think mostly because of the religion stuff I mean, because I, I think about a lot of other things quite often, like race and class and gender, I think about all the time because of who I am as a person. But things like religion, I don't really put much time into thinking about. And it has been really interesting thinking about religion. Um, I mean, specifically Catholic and Christian stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, obviously, at the moment, I'm the reader. So you guys sort of have to it's going to be things that I'm like, for some reason, this appealed to me. That's what I'm going to yeah. do to you guys. And obviously, for me, class and religion is one that clearly interests me quite a lot. So I'm going to more be like looking at those. So getting to hear um, more of the race things and like the other thing, like and gender that you guys bring into it, that you're like, oh, yeah, like between us all, a lot <laughs> of the themes are going to come up that interest yeah. us all in different ways and getting to like focus in on things that like I wouldn't necessarily have thought about as heavily but getting to hear other people's thoughts on it yeah I think like um with what you were saying Nemo as well the um you're saying ah oh, you know like talking about it through the frame of um or through the lens of privilege 
like ah, uh, but then it puts quite a political heft on it. I think it, I think that is something that exists though. Like that, it is, it is quite a good exercise in that in a way that, like it when you think about it, does put a political heft on it. But the way that we are doing it, that like there is a political heft to it, but the weight doesn't feel. Mm. too heavy mm. if if that's quite a sort of a roundabout way of saying what I want to say but sure. um, no, I, get you. Mm. I think I added the the clarification because mm. I suddenly kind of went like I don't want people to think that um that's how we they, frame our discussions yeah or, or like that they should be responsible for like they can't just read this book and like have a conversation about it and only talk about whether Andreas and Gronte fuck. Like, like <laughs> that is also a valid use of your time and like and, you know And also uh, like it's it's not sorry to cut across you, Newman, but it's like it's not like it's not the stuff that we record, but it's also conversations what? that we have. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like that's what my third year dissertation was about. So really nice. who am I to talk? <laughs> but um the like I, I think I wanted to clarify because we got quite heavy, especially on this like Waterloo chapter. And like, I I think you're right, Grace. It is a nice way to maybe, if not start having these conversations, to develop the way that you talk about things because it, it's a book, and ultimately, like none of the characters in it are going to be offended if you muck things up or if you get things wrong, and you can use it as a learning opportunity because it's a mm. book. Um, I think I added the clarity of like you know, it, you can, like, hone your political thinking because I, I don't want people to think that, like, you have to. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Sometimes it is a nice way. do nice things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can enjoy a book because it's a book. Yeah. Um, or not enjoy it, I guess, because it's yeah. Hugo talking about yeah. the fucking 26 <laughs> armies and <laughs> um, yeah. battalions in his army. Um, yeah, I, I like so much, this, like, this episode um doing it because like I came I read the thing I obviously like underlined some things that I was like okay maybe I'll bring this up this could uh, he's talking about ah okay we can talk about that um but largely came away with it from it like did these chapters need to be here but <laughs> that you guys are able to sort of be like oh and that could be this and this could reference this later oh we should look out for this oh here's a theme we've seen before that was like okay maybe these chapters are allowed to stay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's also the thing. <coughs> sorry, there's also the thing of the um, Stevie showed me the um, Sherlock is garbage thing, where it's like <laughs> iconic, well, iconic. One of the points is, um, you know, at some point you've invested so much time into a piece of shit that you start being like, maybe it is good though. Maybe it really is deeply <laughs> thinking about all these themes and things, and like maybe I haven't wasted all of my time reading this. I must so wow. Really <laughs> wow, wow. Hey, us looks at our two year backlog of this fucking podcast. Yeah, for yep. real. So like, <laughs> I am going to say that it, these Waterloo chapters are really good and interesting, and like, <laughs> definitely not a waste of time. No, God. I, again, I this think... feels like a very powerful. Anyway, this has been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're the host now, so you get. To oh no! I do very oh, yeah. much after we finish Waterloo as to do an episode where, even if we were all on the same side, we all have to take a different side. Or two people and there's a moderator, whatever it is. And I want us to put the Waterloo chapters on trial, Phoenix. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't good. believe I can't believe we've literally like we've come around full circle to like doing the school thing. Like, do you remember being in school where it's like, okay, we're gonna have to have a debate, and like, there's gonna be this, and you're gonna have to argue about this, even though like you don't believe that. Like, we've mm. I can't believe when left alone for two years, we've been like, <laughs> right, we're gonna read this book, and we're gonna break oh it God. down into all of this, that, and the other, and then we're gonna have a debate about it. And you've got to like, I cannot believe like that that is what we've done. <laughs> That came up organically. <laughs> but when it's you care about, it makes it fun instead of you have to do this about a topic oh, you absolutely. don't care about. Mm, yeah. We've become the monster. <laughs> yeah, we literally have. Wow, you either die the hero, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episode title.
I guess this has been Bren Barricade's Elaine Miz podcast. It was produced by me, Nemo Martin and Julian Yap. Um, It's a Captain's Collections creation. Um, Our audio producer is um, Jade, who you can find on her Bandcamp or on at jdwasabi.com. Smash the subscribe button, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Smash that like button. Um, send us a send us a rating on um, iTunes. It really helps us a lot as content producers, and also it helps us like motivate ourselves that it feels nice, and we love it. So please do. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, uh, send them to us at uh, lesmis. Dot at gmail. Dot, I'm not doing this very well. If anyone wants to do it, they can do it. No. Okay. You're in it now. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, L E M. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, you go. Sorry. L E S M I S at gmail. Dot com. Um, if you have opinions for us, you can also find us on Twitter at Jesus. I've got no idea. At Limit Podcast. At Limit Podcast. And you can find us on Tumblr at the same. Nope, uh, at bredandbarricades.tumblr.com. <laughs> you can't. You can't find us on Tumblr <laughs> at the same. It's You can find us on Tumblr at bredandbarricades.tumblr.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>